Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and convention coverage, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other listeners, find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube pages, support our Podbean crowdfunding campaign, and much more. Star Wars Action News, covering the whole galaxy of Star Wars toys. Welcome to Star Wars Action News, first show of 2017! Yay! We're back! Well, first news show. Yeah, first news show. We did have the 2016 in review that we recorded late last year. Our Christmas vacation has extended a little longer than expected, but we are back, and it's exciting. I mean, 2017, 40 years ago this May, Smokey and the Bandit hit theaters. I love that movie so much, and I know I kind of introduced you to it, but I grew up watching Smokey and the Bandit and knowing all the lingo, and that was when Burt Reynolds was allegedly hot. Doesn't do anything for me, but hey, you know, Sally Field, super cute in that movie, right? Burt Reynolds, one of the Saturday Night Live skit contenders for Han Solo. Yes, back in the late 90s, they did the screen test little skits, which is funny. For the special editions that are now 20 years old. Ugh. You know what else is getting old? Us! (laughs) I keep thinking back, though, to 2007, when Star Wars Action News was in its second full year of podcasting, (laughs) and we went out to Los Angeles and the Master Replicas party and the 30th anniversary of Star Wars, the 30th anniversary collection figures that were everywhere. Yeah. I remember those coins, Mm -hmm. the plastic coins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Toy Fair exclusive coin that everybody was going nuts over. Yeah, good times, good times. I wonder how the 40th anniversary is going to stack up. That's what I'm looking at. Certainly, the landscape's tremendously different. The 30th anniversary of Star Wars felt like a last hurrah. I think that was the last big peak because we were on the cusp of the Clone Wars series that would come out the next year. We were a couple years past the last movie, but the hype was still high. I almost feel like singing to all the girls I've loved before, only to all the collecting (laughs) companies that have gone out of business in 10 years. Well, I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing and how collecting has shifted and changed because Celebration 4 was the first one without a movie, first of all. Mm -hmm. So we had no big reveals in any of the panels or anything like that. I mean... I really fondly remember with you Celebration 2 when we ditched all of our wedding planning and went and had a great time at Celebration 2 because it was an indie, you know, a couple hours drive from us. And Rick McCallum's little thing, remember we were all in there in the standing room only thing. There were no seats. And it was like literally like a five minute clip and you get goosebumps and it was fun and crazy and there's so much to look forward to and then celebration four was the first one without a movie and we're like all right cool we got this down we had the clone wars coming out the next year though and we knew it was coming oh yeah that's and right so there that was what we had was dave filoni and the hype around that although they didn't have anything really to tell us or to tease no it was it was not the same level of anticipation and excitement as it was for the movies so it was kind of different and I remember going out there and thinking how much smaller the vendor floor was and how kind of disappointing it was compared to episode two and three. It was Los Angeles, harder for the companies to get there, and you didn't have a huge M&M's booth. I mean, remember we had that at Celebration 3, the M&M's booth and the car? There there was, oh, I don't remember what car it was, but there was AT&T, there were M&M's. Mm-hmm. Was it a Corvette or something, maybe? Yeah. I've got a picture in the car, whatevs. And the different... Vendors that were out there, I mean, that was Master Replicas. They were still doing the high-end collectibles, which previously we'd only seen like icons and to some extent kind of, was it Rubies that did a few pieces? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. So it's just a very different place now. I mean, in the time since, Master Replicas was sold to Corgi. Corgi went out of business. Then we had 
prop shop. Now, on our Year in Revenge shows, we said prop store, but we meant prop shop. Prop store is something else entirely. And prop store, still very much in business. Prop shop, not in business. (laughs) FX collectibles, in business, shipping irregularly. Here's the thing about FX collectibles. What they make is really good. And so I'm totally fine with waiting a little bit longer to get the items that are carefully curated and there's a lot of love that goes into them, a lot of attention to detail. And I will honestly say that they will not release a product unless it's absolutely positively right. However, there's the whole Futurama take my money mentality too, where if they'd release more at that quality, I'd buy more at that quality. Yes, you would. So... It's just a very different landscape. One thing we kind of know, Toy Fair is coming up in just less than two weeks, really. Yikes. And of course, Toy Fair International took place in the UK before now. Jedi News covered it. Not a lot coming out of there, which is unusual. Usually by this point before our Toy Fair, everything has been leaked because of the other Toy Fair. Now... All we know, and thanks to Revel, the model kit maker, the 40th anniversary does have a logo. It's a silver emblem, and it looks like the double racetrack silver border is coming back like the vintage cards had. I think that with collectors our age-ish, you know, give take 10 years, and people who originally saw the vintage figures are always going to be nostalgic for a design that harkens back to that. And hands down, every single time Hasbro does that, they're going to have winners as far as card backs. Some people I've seen post because Justin, our co-host at Marvelicious Toys, did his vintage cards for the Rogue One figures. And those took off. He posted them all to our Facebook page. If you haven't checked them out, check them out. He did some foil stamping that's just incredible. And I saw some people say those look really good, but they don't get the nostalgia for the vintage cards. You know, we had them for several years and... They don't understand it. But to me, good packaging is just good packaging. And it's not just that it's nostalgic, but the giant photo of the characters on the side, all of that really was something that excited me as a young child and as an adult. And I'll admit that when they did the vintage collection for years and years, and then those same eight figures were all I ever saw in pegs, I got a little bored of it. But I would love for them to re-release the original figures but in the same articulation and like leia have like the pantsuit i would love those just for nostalgic factor and have those on the new cards like that they did that way back with power of the force too they took the vintage figure molds the kenner molds reproduced the figures and sold them in four packs now they weren't on the nice cards and people were mad Because now you're starting to mix how can you tell what's a real vintage Leia versus this reproduced vintage Leia and so on. Don't they all have information on their foot? Just makes it easier to... Bootleg. Yeah, so there was some backlash against them doing that way back in 95. And I could see that still being the case as vintage collecting is hotter than ever these days. But we're going to find out a lot more in two weeks. The fact that we saw the double racetrack, I think... Hasbro's been teasing us for two years now about bringing back the Vintage Collection and using the five POA figures for it. I think we'll probably see that. What else will we see? Too early for Episode 8. I think it's actually really exciting that we have this 40th anniversary because we've been going to Toy Fair every year, you know, for over a decade. But for the past few years, it's been like, we can't show you any movie merchandise because it's just too soon. All we can show you is... The remnants from The Force Awakens. Hey, this four-pack hasn't come out yet and things like that. But with the 40th anniversary, I think they'll actually be able to drop the mic and show us something really cool without the gag order that Lucasfilm puts over The Last Jedi. Yeah, Toy Fair is always going to be interesting with upcoming movies and now anniversaries. So we kind of, I don't know, stay tuned to our Twitter and Facebook and everything like that because we'll be posting what we can and because of toy fair it's been really kind of slow for collecting lately i think the best thing has been after christmas discounts for the past month i know we posted a lot online i finally got that hallmark job of the hut candy dish yep our local hallmark did not carry it no but their website did and had free shipping 
Of course, the big find, the big discount, has been the ATACT vehicle from Hasbro. $300 retail price. We have seen people post sales receipts getting it as cheap as $25. I don't think... First of all, I guess, did anybody pay full price for it? Because I don't think anyone did. I guarantee some did. I go back to that guy I encountered in a Toys R Us aisle about a year ago now, where he was going through all of the Force Awakens Falcons and looking for just that mint one and telling me how I'm stupid for opening my vehicles and this is going to be worth a fortune in the future. And I'm sure people like that who actually view this as an investment would pay full price just to get one case fresh never having been on a store shelf. Beyond that, everybody I talked to said they were waiting. I never saw it for full price only because I have been hitting a few targets looking for it to see if it even appeared. I only saw it for the first time after Christmas at a target I'd been to just before Christmas. And it was not full price. It was already marked down. So I had been there literally like two days before Christmas. I went the next like Wednesday and they were marked down. So unless I put it out like on Christmas Eve or something, I don't think these ever hit the shelves, at least in my area at full price. I'll definitely be gently asking Hasbro about this at Toy Fair. But did you ever see them again after that one time? I did not. Because when you found them, they were half off and I knew I wasn't paying 300 for it. And before Christmas, Walmart.com had had it marked down to 250 225 I still didn't bite. But when you texted me and you were at that Target and they were $150 a piece, I'm like, all right, let's get two. Two at $150 a piece is correct. One at 300 is not. Yeah, and I still have been searching Targets and looking, and I don't know if these were blinking, you miss them, but I never saw them again in any of the Targets. I probably hit probably about 10 Targets regularly. I've never seen these on store shelves, period. I've only seen them online. Even on Amazon, they're still fluctuating around $250. i am like, you know, if they get down to the $75 that Target had them at a week after we bought them, I could see getting a third one. Plus, the two you found, the boxes, were not in the best condition. They weren't bad, but they were not fantastic. It, it looked like they'd been on the shelf for a while, to be honest. They had all the dings and dents on the corners, which I think happens with heavier items. But they had none of the dust you get with <laughs> sitting on the shelf for a long time. The big question, of course, isn't really about this anymore when I ask Casper about it, but how will this influence big vehicles going forward? And I think that question will be answered before I can ask it on whether or not they announce a big thing for the 40th anniversary, like perhaps a Death Star playset. I'm just going to put that out there. They have announced on their Marvel line they're doing two playsets for the Spider-Man movie coming up. Of course, I talked on Facebook and things about how Mattel did the Batcave playset for 100 bucks at Walmart's. Is it possible we'll see a Star Wars playset? Correction, it was $84 regular price for the Batcave. Well, it said MSRP 99 I and... understand, but it was around $84, and then it got down a little lower, and now it's back up. But still... I don't know what they're going to show, but it won't be a sale barge. As for the ATACT, we did get that and open it up. And I've read a lot of complaints online about how much smaller it is than even the vintage AT-AT. This is actually slightly taller than the vintage ATAT. The old one was 17 and a half inches tall. This is 18 and an eighth inches tall. And they're about the same length, 22 inches long. So... For the people complaining about the size, but it's about the same as the vintage one. Now, if I put it next to the big AT-AT they put, well, that's like Hervé Villachet standing next to Shaquille O'Neal. But really, with the three and three quarter inch scale figures, it's okay. I do wish, sincerely, that you could put two pilots in the cockpit. I mean, that was one of the big things is having a nice cockpit. We never got inside an ATACT cockpit in Rogue One. So I don't know if these are smaller, maybe single pilot vehicles versus the AT-ATs we saw in Empire and Jedi, but the cockpit is 50% Nerf gun. The cockpit only holds four Nerfs. Yeah, and they're stacked on top of each other, but it also only holds one figure. Well, you've got a 
give or take there. I mean, do you want nerf action in it or not? No. I know exactly, but you know, (laughs) rhetorical question. Well, the vehicle comes with three figures. There's the AT-ACT driver, which I need to get Rogue One on some Blu-ray because I do not know if I actually saw him in the movie or not. There's Jin Erso, which really led me to believe there was going to be some awesome scene of Jin Erso hijacking an ATACT. There was not. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie. And then a C2B5 astromech droid, which again, I need to re-see Rogue One to see if I can really spot that. But I thought there would be a lot more action going on with an astromech Jin Erso and an ATACT. Instead, we just got some really kick-ass action of a slightly beige walker shooting at the rebels but this does have the removable cargo container i don't think that was really well shown in the movie at some point you just saw the atacts with a hollow center but here you get the toy that kind of opens up to the base and the little rocket firing gun and it kind of fits in i guess the belly kind of like a cartridge because it kind of slides in and locks and then you can pull it out the doors open up on the little cargo hold. It's not really an efficient design in the real world, but hey, what are you going to do? It's a toy. It works. I guess you could store your extra nerfs in there too. It does have a grappling hook as well as a gun inside that you can move around on the pegs inside. And the grappling hook is to attach to the walker so that it, I guess, is how it would load and unload in there. I remember as a kid, I used to take my ATAT. And it was my figure case by just shoving as many figures in the side of that thing as I could. And here, this would be an easier way to do it because you could just stack them all in there and then put it in like you say, like a cartridge. Yeah, it just slides right in and it makes this weird sound. The plastic itself and the paint job, it's okay. I don't mind it. Again, it kind of does remind me of that vintage ATAT. They didn't weather those old vintage vehicles. Here, they've got some blue panels kind of accented and some various grays, but the entire toy is kind of the light gray that I associate with that vintage toy. And there were a few stickers to put on, like on the cargo bay and things like that, but I kind of think that all the money for this product development went into the Bluetooth and the app to make this work as a walking toy, which we should probably talk about because it's kind of the big pink elephant in the room. The walking. I'll say right now, We were at New York Comic Con and at the Hasbro event, and they were demonstrating the walker there, and there weren't a lot of surprises. What they demonstrated is exactly what it does. It goes forward and can turn its head and make firing sounds. Turn its head in a manner of speaking. Yes, okay, it's not really turning its head. It's kind of like a little bit, little bit, fire, boom, you're done. The problem with the turning the head, I guess we'll start with that is you can't really control it left and right. It's got these like circle things, like it's got a kink in its neck and you need to work it out. Do you want to circle right or do you want to circle left? (laughs) But it doesn't have a really good left and right motion where if you wanted to target something, you could do that well. You can't raise and lower the neck with the control. And the control, you have to have an app on your phone. If you don't have a smart device, Bluetooth enabled, specifically an iPhone or an Android phone, then you're not able to control this device at all. Yeah, it's just the only thing you can control is making it walk forward. If you have the app, you know, you can make it walk forward and there's a hint of neck movement, I guess. But that's all it does is that's it. I asked at New York Comic Con, I'm like, well, how does it turn? It doesn't turn. And all right, thinking about the mechanics of it. I suppose that makes sense. In order to turn, you need a hip joint or an ankle joint or some kind of pivot. And in fact, I think back to Empire and the one time we really saw an ATAT kind of pivot on its hip and it got a wider stance. And that's something you need a ball jointed ATAT leg to do. So it's basically a juggernaut. It's going to walk forward until you tell it not to, but there's no turning it around. And When I was a kid, I had remote control cars, and they weren't Bluetooth, but they were RF and had giant antennas, and the fun was driving the car in circles and racing and that kind of thing. Here, I can see this kind of being cool for kids or adults to try once like we did, and then I don't know how often you're going to do it. The one thing they tried to do, good on them for trying, (laughs) 
you know, we never talked much about their Star Wars Studio FX app, where when you got your Rogue One figures, you could scan them in, you could photograph your figures and add explosions and all that kind of thing. And they're really trying to link this because as you do various things, as you shoot the nerfs a certain number of times and whatnot, you get unlockables for the Studio FX app. I go to a lot of Star Wars collecting sites, a lot of Star Wars collecting Facebook groups. I have not seen them flooded with photos from the Star Wars Studio FX app. And No, and in fact, I looked through the achievements because I unlocked an achievement when I was making the at at walk. I'm sorry, at act. And I was disappointed to find out that while I unlocked that one achievement, there were no other achievements to unlock with that toy. I'd have to go into the app and take pictures for it. Which makes me wonder if they're just really just data mining. <laughs> the one thing I kind of had fun with was the fact that you can use the app to fire the Nerf bolts. And yes, we did torment our chihuahuas with them. And yes, I really have trouble targeting with the ATACT. But one of my chihuahuas, he's a bigger chihuahua. Now, there was no dog abuse going on. But no, one of my chihuahuas did happen to walk his bum right in front of the target range. And so I did nerf him in the bum and... <laughs> he was a bit shocked and perturbed at you. He was obviously didn't hurt him. And keep in mind, my chihuahuas are a little bit taller and lankier than, you know, your standard, like, rat dog. But he, he was more irritated at you, how you dare disturb him <laughs> by shooting it at him. Yeah, this Chihuahua, Logan, he acts more like Garfield than anything else, so... Yeah. It was fun to watch them bark at the ATACT, but I don't know if I didn't have dogs that I would have even had this much fun. And my equation that I kept going back to was the Sphero BB-8, because that was another app-controlled Star Wars toy. And the Sphero BB-8 did a lot. It made sounds, it could program it could learn rooms you could speed it and it would go really fast it would go you know all different directions because it was a spinning ball and everybody i've talked to and if you guys if anybody listening isn't in this category let us know so we'll amend this but everybody i've heard from said the novelty of that app wore off for them and their children really quickly and you know how facebook has that new marketplace there's constantly people in our area trying to get 60, 70 bucks out of their barely used Sphero BB-8s. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I could stock up and have an army of BB-8s <laughs> at like a third the price. And I've not heard anybody who went out and bought another BB-8 so they could get that band that they were trying to market this past Christmas. Yeah, I've not seen anybody even talk about those. And you know, I have a lot of Star Wars people on my Facebook and Twitter. Well, the ATACT is like a less fun Sphero BB-8 <laughs> as far as the app goes. Because imagine a Sphero BB-8 that would only walk slowly in one direction. Then you have to get up and, you know, pick it up and turn it. It's useful only, again, for that Studio FX thing. If you want to have your figures just standing there and then have an ATACT walk into frame, it can do that. And then if you want it to shoot, hopefully you've got everything aligned perfectly because you're not going to want to try turning that head but if you get everything aligned, you can shoot things down. But I'm torn on the nerf feature. On the one hand, it is kind of fun to use an app to shoot nerf darts. Yeah, but it only holds four, first of all, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, they have nerf guns out the whole, like, I swear, like 50. I mean, you can just file a, a barrage at people and just be like, boom. But th I mean, it's four. So then you have to go get them and reload it. That's kind of a downer, I think. That kind of takes away. I mean, I would want like his whole stomach to be full of darts if you're going to have that feature. I would love, it would be a little bit more engineering and I don't know how it would work with turning the head, but if that cartridge in the middle, instead of being this fold out kind of silly base, was the Nerf cartridge yes. and then it fired through the neck somehow, but then you wouldn't have the neck articulation where it's, you know, seeing its chiropractor and doing its little exercises. Yeah, but do we even need that neck articulation? And I would think you could still have it if you had some sort of thing. But that's neither here nor there. The point is, it only holds four darts. The other thing I really, really wish it did is it's got the side guns, right? You yes. Know, on the side of the head. I wish you could control those and have them move up and down. Just, I know, it costs more. And already it was way overpriced at $300. But to add those extra motors costs more. But that those guns were very static. 
To me, this was, pardon the pun, a misfire. <laughs> because I just right now got a sense memory of my vintage ATAT with the handle inside where I could turn the neck and the button where the guns would light up and move back and forth. And to me, it would be far more fun to have a little handle in there where I could direct the head and then have maybe a trigger where I could shoot a Nerf dart and I could actually aim it instead of having this app that's, what, doubling the cost of the vehicle? And is it really a $300 vehicle or is it a $150 vehicle that they tried to get $200, $300 out of? Yes. I mean, the big feature of it is the walking because I think without the walking, you'd probably still buy it, but it wouldn't be so sought after, right? Is it sought after because it walks? No, I think it's sought after because it was a steal and it never hit for full price, really. So in the end, I like it as a toy. I like that they made an ATACT. I like that they put an ATACT in Rogue One. It's certainly up there, if not my very favorite Star Wars vehicle, the giant robotic elephants that terrorize the rebels. But the price, the Bluetooth, getting it home and playing with it, there's nothing where I went, wow, I was wrong. I understand now why people would pay full price because that sometimes happens as you see something, you see its marketed features and you go, I wouldn't pay for that. And then you buy it and you go, okay, that's cooler than I thought it would be. And so I would have paid it. No, this is exactly what I think it would be. And I think 150 is, it's what I paid. It's the most anybody should pay. If you got it for 75, you got a real bargain. If you got it for 25, you got a steal. Virtual but high five if you got it for 25. 300? Mm, nothing in this box is worth 300. I'm sure some people paid it. Those figure completists who didn't want to wait for the sale and they really wanted that C2B5. And actually, all the figures in here are new. Even the Jin Urso is not identical to the other three and three quarter inch Jin Urso. Arms and legs are reused, but different sculpted torso, different sculpted head. And of course, the ATACT driver not available anywhere else. And they're all the five POA figures, but for the three and three quarter inch completionists, I think there's something there that definitely makes it worth the 75. But follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I am keeping an eye on Amazon. If this does go down to 150, I'd buy one so I have one in a really nice box. From Amazon? Well, with the large vehicles, they usually... You'll be lucky they don't just don't slap a shipping label on the box. Right, but if they put a shipping label on the shipping carton box, I'll be in good shape. Yes, but you're playing with fire there. I, I've seen the heartache that you get often with toys from Amazon. I don't know if anybody else has this, but the Midwest Distribution Center for Amazon Toys is terrible. I have returned literally 40 toys over the holidays because they had various sales on figures and things. And I, especially pops, any pop figure literally is popped by the time it gets to me. It's like they figure, oh, that Funko Cardboard's enough padding. They don't need to do anything but shove it in a bubble mailer. But as of this recording, not from Amazon, but from an Amazon third-party seller, Shipped Prime, the ATACT is down to $185. It's getting there. From Amazon itself, it's down to $201. I hope they keep making big vehicles in the future. I understand they're trying to compete for kids' attention against the Nintendo Go and all these other things, or just apps on a phone. But this is like trying to market something and say it's a floor varnish and it's also iced tea. <laughs> oh, that was funnier than it should have been. <laughs> For example, I'm really excited about the new ATST that's appearing and who knew that was coming? We found this at Walmart. I guess it is a Walmart exclusive. It didn't have a sticker on it, though. It did not have a sticker on it. You're right. And I've only seen it in one Walmart, and they only had two of them. I found it at one Walmart as well. Strangely, it was in the clearance aisle. Was it on clearance? It was not. I took it all the way up to checkout. The box was kind of destroyed, and it's one of those nice window boxes. Hasbro doesn't really make things like this anymore. In fact, this entire package feels like something Hasbro made in 2009 that they're like, oh crap, we never shipped this. We got cases and cases. Let's ship this out. Because what you have is the ATST and it's 
the one they released back in 2009 as a Walmart exclusive. It's repainted. There's the ATST driver. And this is like one of the best articulated three and three quarter inch figures to hit in a long time because it's the 2012 ATST crew figure. It's got over 20 points of articulation. And it's because they just redid an old figure instead of making a new sculpt. But it's like somebody discovered like a room in a warehouse full of these. are like, oh, crap, guys, we should really move these somehow. Hey, let's just put them in a new box and give it a repaint. The price is a little higher at $60, which is why I currently only have one. If that one I'd found in the clearance aisle had been cheaper for its demolished box, I certainly would have gotten an opener. But you know what? I would happily take more vehicles like this. Some original trilogy love making its way to shelves. And here, there's no silly app, although... God, I'd love to see a chicken walker walk on its own. <laughs> That's just fun times. I imagine they'd have to do some alteration to that because I just don't think that they look really sound for walking, which is why they get knocked down easily. But, mm-hmm. but we've only seen those a couple times, so keep your eyes open and maybe you will find one as well. Walmart exclusives, I'm not going to hold my breath for that going on clearance. No, especially given that it seems to be spotty. It's not like all of a sudden there's a ton of them in all the stores. They just... I go to Walmarts a lot also besides the Targets, and I found it in a podunk Walmart. And check those clearance aisles because they moved a lot of Black Series figures, a lot of three and three quarter inch figures, just a ton of Star Wars is in like... In some cases, it's like the garden section, and it's anywhere from 5 to $15 off for what you're looking for. But that's where I did find it in this one store, leading me to think, wow... Did I find a bargain? No, I didn't find a bargain. I just found where they put that toy. I think they're just being shoved on shelves. And I have found some paperwork in various Walmarts. It looks like they're due for a reset also, if it already hasn't happened to your Walmart. While on the topic of Walmart exclusives, another one I'm really hunting for and have not had any luck are the Funko Pop 3-packs. Specifically, if you know me, I need that vintage Greedo that's it's a pop of the vintage figure in that like green ribbed suit. Yeah, I have been searching for these and Walmart can be either delightful or maddening when it comes to pops. There's a few Walmarts that have really great end cap displays of all the pops so you can just go and all the licenses are in one end cap and you know, you can search and find what you want, all the exclusives and everything. And there are others who will shove them in the auto department. I've seen them in the sporting goods, like on the far end of the toys, you know, by the bikes and stuff. Sometimes I've seen them scattered around with the different licenses too. So it's always a hunt to try to find these. And I have been really looking for these and really, really, really looking because I know that you want them. There's another three pack that I'm not so desperate about, which is the Revenge of the Sith set. That's a three pack. But yeah, the Hammerhead Walrus Man Greedo three pack. I'll eBay it if I have to, but like you said, they're going to be doing a store reset soon. It's strange because I had absolutely no problem finding that chromed Death Trooper. I thought it was going to be problematic, and after Christmas, we went into Walmart and found literally 20 on the shelf. Yeah, and what's funny is I've seen them at a few other Walmarts, too, so they must have hit in mass, but maybe these three packs will hit. But I've also noticed like the three packs, sometimes are up front by the trading cards. That's where the bigger packs were, like the Jabba the Hutt Slave Leia set and the Wampa set. So definitely check that aisle at your local Walmart. There is no consistency with these unless you're lucky enough to find like a cardboard rounder in the middle of the aisle. Yeah, those are like heaven when you find those. It's like the angels have sung and bestowed upon you great Funko finds. Other than that, stores have been pretty miss or miss. I mean... The Valentine's Day stuff is out, and again, if you've been listening to the show a long time, you know I always go for this really kind of cheesy holiday stuff. I spend way more than I should in those aisles picking up tins and chalices or goblets or whatever, and this time I went and I went, it's all stuff from last year. Yeah, it seems like every couple of years is when they come out with something really new and original, and then they just like beat it into the ground, and this is one of those years. Truthfully, one of my New Year's collecting resolutions is with all the new movies to try to focus my collecting. And so Gallery Company, with all of your gasoline chocolates and things, 
you might be on the cutting block. But then again, if you do something like those tin hearts with the classic 70s, 80s Marvel comic art, all right, you'll have my money again anyway. (laughs) The other big thing has been the new two Black Series six-inch figures from Rogue One, Baze and Chirrut. Now, I've been getting figures by the case for quite some time now, but the problem is those are the only two new figures in the next case. And so a lot of people, including myself, are skipping those. They're coming out with solid cases, but do you really need an army of bays? No, I guess you don't, do you? These have gone up for order individually, Entertainment Earth, Dorkside Toys. I did get a couple orders in, but those are going to be hitting stores too. So if you want to keep an eye out for those and just pick them up at retail, that's how I actually got my director Krennic figure because that was another one of those not enough new figures to make buying the wave worth it (laughs) but speaking rogue one hopefully you've had time to see the movie by now if you're listening to this show i imagine you're a more hardcore than average star wars fan who would see this movie in the couple opening weeks but the question always is how does the novelization differ and here with a review of that book is brock This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison, with a review of the novelization of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, by Alexander Freed. Review copies courtesy of Delray Books and Delray Audio. The novelization of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, by Alexander Freed, is like returning to a time of yesteryear for me. Movie novelizations like this one remind me of when seeing a movie you liked wasn't as easy as instantly downloading it from iTunes, or popping it in the DVD or Blu-ray player off your shelf, or even renting it from a local video store. In addition to official storybook adaptations and read-along records and cassettes, youngster Brock would be able to revisit movies in print form via the official novelization oftentimes getting the same story experience, but with a little more insight to some of the characters and perhaps some new information that accentuated that movie experience. And if I was lucky, an eight-page insert in the center of the book with color photos from the movie. As I mentioned in my The Force Awakens novelization review last year, my favorite part of reading a Star Wars novelization are what I call the quote, extras. And what I mean by this is the author is often working off an earlier draft of the script or perhaps an earlier cut of the movie. And so in the novel, there are often differences from the actual movie, like deleted scenes, pieces or scenes or dialogue that was cut during editing or scenes that were written but never actually filmed. The stage direction, slug lines, and parentheticals in the script also often get fleshed out in the novel. For example, the Uncar plot confrontation at Maz Kanata's castle, a deleted scene from the movie, is in the Force Awakens novel. And sometimes there are entire chapters added on that accentuate and open up the story. The Attack of the Clones novelization pops to mind. That starts with a prelude of Anakin having a dream about his mother, and then the first three chapters are on Tatooine, with Shmi Skywalker and the Lars family, Shmi getting abducted by the Tusken Raiders, etc. The action that we know starts the second prequel movie commences around chapter 4 or so, if my memory serves. I bring this up now because we all heard about how Rogue One had some pretty late reshoots, and we have seen the videos and numerous internet posts about what was cut, what was changed, screen caps from the first trailers of images not in the final movie cut, so I was quite looking forward to reading some of these and perhaps even getting a different version of the story that contained many of these changed scenes. Yet, as they brought back the cast for reshoots, it seems they brought back the author back for rewrites as well, because none of that alternate content made it into the novelization of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. In fact, plot-wise, this novelization is practically identical to what we see in the final cut. Even so, the author was able to make some nice additions in telling that story. Author Alexander Freed returns to the Star Wars universe for another tie-in novel after writing last year's Star Wars Battlefront Twilight Company, and that was linked to the release of the new Battlefront video game. Given how well Mr. Freed conveyed the war scenes in that Star Wars novel, he was a good choice for the novelization of Rogue One. 
Freed's prose never seems burdened by excessive exposition. He is able to describe the people, alien races, locales, and battle action in a natural way that the movie scenes pop right back into my head. I couldn't tell you how they would read if I hadn't seen the movie, but I imagine those readers will do just fine with Mr. Freed's descriptions. The final battle reads quite well. Mr. Freed keeps the flow of the battle seemingly effortless. From the ground battle back to space, to the data tower with Jin and Cassian, back to Bodhi in the ship. But no doubt I was helped by having seen the movie multiple times. One place the author seems to have some creative freedom was in expanding the background of the story in supplemental data passages, which were inserted every few chapters. These supplemental data passages vary from one to three pages in length and are taken from the, quote, personal files of Mon Mothma, Grand Moff Tarkin, Commander Krennic, and a few others. These were fun to read and often tied into what just happened in the story. The standout one is an email thread back and forth between Galen Urso and his superiors, which details how Galen was able to play the system to get the reactor shaft installed in the Death Star, setting up his revenge. The reader knows what he's doing, and it's such fun to read how he's pulling one over on the Imperials. Story-wise, plot-wise, as I've said, this book is pretty much what you see on the screen, but that's not to say there aren't some small differences. The opening scene on Lamu plays a little differently than what we see in the movie. We don't see Lyra call Saw Guerrera, and we don't see Saw pop his head over the entrance of the hiding place. That comes later in Jin's dream as she's in the prison transport we do get to read why Lyra makes her decision to help Galen and confront Krennic rather than stay with Jin. And we read how Galen destroys the computers to leave nothing for Krennic to discover in his farmhouse. Later on Jeddah, Galen's holo message to Saw, especially the part where he speaks to and about Jin, seems longer. Most impressively was once the super laser has been used on Jeddah, we read about the destruction told from the viewpoint from those on the ground. The old woman street vendor we meet briefly in the movie is going about her breakfast, then she notices the cloud approaching, and then is enveloped by the destruction. We read about the little girl who Jin saves from the troopers in the streets as she is with her father at home as they are obliterated. Last, we read about the troopers who didn't get off the world in time as they die in the blast. Unforgettable passages that really gets the point of the terror and horror of such destruction. Where Mr. Freed was allowed to shine in the beauty of a novelization is that we get inside the minds of the characters and we get to revel in the additional insight of their thought processes and their motivations behind their actions that we have seen on the screen. A lesser author may be too on the nose or not provide enough or provide too much of this sort of accentuation, but Mr. Freed finds the right balance and I thought his characterizations provided some great perspective to the characters. The character that benefits the most from this treatment is the Imperial pilot defector Bodhi Rook. Not only in his first scene being taken by Saw's men outside Jeddah City, but how his mind is scrambled by the boar gullet, and later his almost desperate need and desire to do good, to make up for his past as an Imperial, to justify Galen's faith in him, culminating in his short-lived shining moment as a rebel in the final battle on Scarif. Like in the movie, Jin and Cassian get more character time in the beginning of this book, Throughout the book, Jin refers to Krennic as the man in white, and it plays as he is a haunting figure in her life, like a recurring nightmare, a boogeyman. And that makes sense. He killed her mother, took her father away, and then years later, he was there when her dad was killed and tries to kill her at the Citadel. That all works quite nicely. Another standout moment is when Jin confesses she is not sure she, quote, knows how to fight to accomplish something, end quote. We read both Jin and Cassian's doubts, clear on the mission, but we see they are scared, which, while we do see that in their faces in the movie, it plays well here in their heads. Throughout the novel, we get a more conflicted Cassian. Cassian explains to the informer Tenek why he has to kill him as Tenek takes his last breaths, where in the movie, that was just implied. Cassian's headspace, his adjusting on the fly, his tinge of desperation in the situations, even when he knows or seems to know what he is doing, comes through in the narrative. This comes to a head during the scene where he can't kill Galen Urso on Edu as ordered. K2SO is more effective in the movie, actually, Though there is a moment where we get his thoughts, how he feels his unique experience as a reprogrammed Imperial droid isn't being utilized enough. That, of course, pays off during the climax on Scarif. I enjoyed some insight to Bayes Malbus, why he fights on Scarif, that he's loyal to Jin and fights with the rebels because she and Cassian accepted he and Chirrut, and most importantly, because Chirrut trusts her. Chirrut's sacrifice is beautiful, graceful, as meaningful in print as it was on film. 
Saw's realization and how he has to die. Some additional contemplation we don't get in the movie. And in actuality, that would be mere seconds in his mind. And lastly, Commander Krennic and Tarkin's first scene. As Tarkin says, they will be testing the master weapon on the holy city of Jeddah. Krennic's hatred for Tarkin and his ways plays well, and Krennic's pride in the Death Star and how close he is to the project are clearer, clearer in that we're being set up better for the betrayal of Tarkin, stealing the station out from under him later in the story. In addition, there's a short page after the Edu attack, with Krennic reflecting on Urso's death, where he gets word he is summoned by Darth Vader to Mustafar. I didn't completely get why Krennic went to Mustafar to speak to Vader when watching the movie, and now that makes a little more sense. Otherwise, I did catch a few additional character names and tidbits. I learned that Chirrut practices Zama Shiwu, the inward eye of the outward hand, which connects his breathing to his infectious chant. One thing that did pop out in print, Jeddah City, Holy City of the Jedi, is spelled J-E-H-D-A and it reads like an ancient form of the word Jedi, like Old English reads to us today. How interesting, I didn't pick it up in watching the movie, but in print, it's clear as day. The audio presentation of this novel is once again read by Jonathan Davis, who has over 30 Star Wars audio novels to his credit, including the companion piece Catalyst, a Rogue One novel, so his presence here was most welcome. What I found strange about the audiobook is that it uses the Star Wars theme to start the book presentation, unlike the movie that went out of its way to not do that. Audio cues from the first six movies are peppered throughout, as they often are with Star Wars audiobooks, but again, given how the score derivates so much from what we know as Star Wars music, it was an odd choice here. The novelization of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, is a harmless and fast enough read. Like the movie, the reader will get more invested in the second half of the novel, but still can enjoy the first half for what it is. While there is a considerable lack of anything new plot-wise or scene-wise, the additional character insights are nice to have, though I might have enjoyed a little more of that as well. Can't really complain, though. The book does exactly what it's supposed to do. This is a straight-up novelization of the film we saw in theaters, so if you enjoyed Rogue One and want to return to that story in a different way, check out this novelization. If you want to revisit my reviews of The Force Awakens novelization, Star Wars Battlefront Twilight Company, or Catalyst, a Rogue One story, you can find those reviews on the Star Wars Action News YouTube channel, and of course, in the archive section at SWActionNews.com. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. Now, to finish off this week, I wanted to take a look at a review item sent to us by Uncle Milton. And this is the Death Star Galaxy Projector that they've put out. Now, I need to clarify right away, this is very different from the Death Star Planetarium they put out a while back that we actually reviewed back then as well. That was just basically a glowy dome that you had the little tops for that projected up. Immediately, I knew this Death Star Galaxy Projector was something special when I opened it up and realized they had that high-end black-on-black packaging that you get with a hot Ooh. toy and a sideshow premium format. This is a high-end toy, not one of those with the red borders like they do with their less expensive items. Hmm, I do love black-on-black -black packaging. It is really sharp. I think it just makes the color pop. And sure enough, I did look this up. The MSRP on this item is $200, although it can be had a bit cheaper at Amazon and some other retailers. And what this is, is a fairly detailed Death Star replica. It's about six inches in size, and they've got some pretty decent sculpting going on there. Again, if you're going to be looking at paint apps, it's just kind of the plastic. There's no weathering on it. I don't know that the Death Star ever got weathered. It just was brand new, and then it was exploded. <laughs> Both times. And it comes with a clear tripod stand that you set it on. I'd be careful not to knock it. One of our dogs did, and it went rolling across the floor, so... <laughs> The poor dogs have had a rough week with the Ad Act and now the Death Star Projector. But it's not just intended to be a Death Star model that sits on your shelf. You can remove the sensor dish from it and reveal a light. And this is a projector that will project detailed maps 
on your wall or ceiling. So in a way, it is like a planetarium. Now, it comes with three discs. You've got these buttons on the back you can eject, and you have three discs you can put in. And one, being Uncle Milton trying to teach, is actually our own Milky Way galaxy. And it comes with an insert so you can find various star clusters and things. I've, it took me back to the end of Clash of the Titans when they were showing Andromeda and all the various star systems based after the Greek gods and getting to see them here on this. And then for Star Wars fans, there's also a map of the Star Wars galaxy, so it felt a little bit like Obi-Wan in the map room with Yoda looking for Kamino. <laughs> Not 3D, just on my ceiling, but it kind of felt that way. And then the third one is just a picture disc showing some really cool art of the Battle of Yavin with some X-Wings and the Death Star there. And you could view these as static images. There are a couple buttons on the back. You can do a couple things with this. You can rotate the disc, so it's very, very slow, but you can see the disc just kind of rotate on your ceiling above you. And then it also has a sleep timer. I guess you could use this as a nightlight or just fun at college parties, and it has a 30 or 60 minute sleep timer. Can I make a bong out of it? Is that why you're saying it's good at college parties? You'd probably ruin the electronics. I'll just... Got it. This is powered by USB which has its pros and cons. On the plus side, it comes with a six-foot USB cord, and in this day and age, I have USB pretty much everywhere. Yes. The downside is, if you don't have USB, if you're a younger child, then you have to go out and buy you know, one of those Walgreens, the AC adapters that you can then plug a USB thing into. What strikes me as slightly odd is that's all the USB does is power the device. It's got no battery inside. It's not rechargeable. It's just using a USB instead of an AC adapter that you would plug in. Hmm. Again, it's kind of nice in that it's not proprietary. If I lose the cord, I can just go to Walgreens and pick up another Buy one. Buy another cord, yeah. It just seems odd that you can't charge it, but I guess maybe that keeps the light bright, perhaps? And it's they're not going to suffer from the battery slowly dying and getting dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. My thought would be with a USB device that I'd be able to download more discs instead of actually having this slide technology. I mean, I remember growing up with a slide projector and you'd put the slide in and then and it would show up on and next one shows up. I like your impressions. I wish we should have. I think we should have more of these because I, I really like these Arnie's impressions of mechanical devices. Well, this is very slidish in that you just slide the discs in. So the USB doesn't actually load any data. There's no benefit to plugging this into a computer versus plugging it into the wall. I had a little trouble with mine on this. First of all, in order to project, you have to remove the Death Star sensor dish. Mine was in there really tight. I ended up having to get a little flathead screwdriver, like a watch screwdriver, and kind of pry it out. Otherwise, though, it actually looked cool. It looked like the sensor dish was all lit up because it was just trying to project through it. And that was kind of a cool Death Star effect. But that was a little tricky to get out. Then the area around the sensor dish is the focus ring. And that thing is tight. I'm taking both hands, both thumbs, trying to get my fingernails in the little grooves to turn this focus. And it just was not very smooth. Fortunately, I think this is one of those devices you'd like put in your kid's room or put in your home theater or something, get it in one place, set the focus, and then set it and forget it, as the infomercial says. <laughs> My problem with it was the focus. And it was just it, hard for me to see. It seemed like it was out of focus a lot of times. And I do recommend having it on a flat, non-moving surface. Arnie first had it on his lap because he was putting in discs and arranging it and everything. And I got the weirdest sense of vertigo from it ever. So I don't know. I, I kind of, I wish it would focus a little bit more and make it a little bit more crisp. That's my main complaint. I had that problem as well. They say these discs are very high resolution. Maybe I'm just having a lot of problems with the focus, but I've tried various distances from ceilings and I tried to get it really sharp. I got it to where it was legible, but really the stars are what you see, and the little map that they send you is what I'd have to use to really read which star clusters were which. Yeah, it just seemed 
couldn't quite get the focus right. And I wish it was a little more sparse in the text and maybe have like a couple more discs with where you could see one part of the galaxy and another part because it just seemed there's a lot on there too. I think that's kind of the point. Okay. In that you're just trying to show this is the view of the galaxy from Earth. When you look up in Earth's sky, it's all that and it's delineating what it is. The projector does have a wide base. We first tested this in our home theater to see how much ceiling it would cover, and it covered a lot and was still pretty bright. Yeah, it was really bright. So it wasn't the focus was because it was dim or anything. I mean, check out the photos we took on our website of the projected images. Those are not photoshopped. Those are actual in-lens photos. I did a little bit of a longer exposure, but just the vivid colors and all the detail, that's what I was seeing. And it was really bright and provided kind of like a nice nightlight effect. So I think that'd be really cool in a room to sleep in. It would be. I think it's a little bit expensive as a nightlight, but it's really cool as that function. I think where this really excels is a couple of places. First of all, giving that Star Wars feel by projecting the Star Wars galaxy and seeing all the color there. Because honestly, the graphic designers at ILM are far prettier than actual space. They have... (laughs) You know, all the browns and everything in it versus Space our own. Space is very beautiful, though, Arnie. It is, but Star Wars ups it a level. They're, you know, covering it. And then I really liked all the colors in the Death Star fight disc. I mean, there I'm not trying to read text. I'm just enjoying the display. The darker the room, the better it looks, of course. It's definitely a higher-end item. It's currently 173 on Amazon, but... It provides a really cool effect, and it's up to you whether that effect is worth the cost or if this is something that would interest your child. Uncle Milton, they're trying to make that educational thing. Of course, the Force Trainer was endlessly fun, but also taught about alpha waves and beta waves. Would having this Death Star projector with the Death Star battle and the Star Wars galaxy help interest your child in learning about our own constellations? Either way, it is a lot clearer than the Death Star Planetarium they did. It's also a lot more expensive as that Death Star Planetarium is only $40. That's a much, much more affordable price point. But thanks to Uncle Milton for that review. We had a lot of fun playing with it. We did. And that's it for our show for this week. We will be back in two weeks in New York City. Our show will be a little delayed, but follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're going to be periscoping. We're going to be doing Facebook Live. We're going to be live tweeting. On Saturday, we've got Lego and Hasbro and Sunday, so much more. Kotobukiya, looking forward to seeing if they've got the painted flame trooper yet. We'll be visiting a lot of different companies and providing updates throughout the day on the items we find. So definitely stay tuned to our social media accounts. Really looking forward to Hasbro. They've already shown that they have a Galen Urso and Admiral Raddus and... Shore Trooper, three and three quarter inch figures. I'm really expecting to see those in person. So we'll talk to you then. And in the meantime, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can find pictures of the toys reviewed, chat with other Star Wars collectors, and find hundreds of Star Wars Action News episodes at our website, SWActionNews.com. This podcast is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. We rely on listener support to keep the show going. You can pledge to our Podbean fundraising campaign by going to SWActionNews.com slash support. Backers get rewards including exclusive video content, early show releases, and more. You can also help out our show by telling your friends to listen by posting on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or in person. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star review written on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. 
The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can also send us your latest store reports, figure reviews, and more. Email us an MP3 or iPhone voice memo at show at SWActionNews.com. All content received is subject for use on the show. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is always looking for new people to help with the show. You can find a list of skills we need on our blog at VenganzaMedia.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Video editing by Barrett, Andrew, and Daryl. Website design by Jason. Graphic design by Jay. Photo editing by Scott and Curtis. Announcements by Brock. Segments created by Andrew, Brock, Daryl, Jerry, Jonathan, Nathan, and Steve. For more Star Wars collecting, check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. All rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2017, all rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting.